What up, everybody? Sultan of Strangles checking in. You know it's your boy, the Kimura King. You know it's your boy, the Ayatollah of Ankle Locks. Um, <clears throat> I am completely blown away, completely blown away with the amount of support I've gotten. I'm not going to lie, man. I thought this podcast, my main audience, was going to be just pretty much jujitsu meatheads. But I've gotten an overwhelming response from regular people and overwhelming that yeah, overwhelming response from chicks. Um, so I'm blown away. Like, I didn't think people would care about what I had to say. Um, and like, like even the jujitsu stuff, they're like, hey, we actually want to know about your preparation, competitions, etc. I'm like, damn, I didn't know that. So today you are finally going to find out you are finally going to find out what i mean about real gangsters hold hands this is probably going to be an hour-long episode because to explain why real gangsters in iran hold hands is a deep topic i'm gonna go over what uh, the way gangsters fight in Iran. I'm going to go over my dad's experience. My dad was a cop in the most dangerous district in all of Tehran for many years. He has many stories. I'm going to explain to you why I'm a gangster and why it's not the same thing as a gangster in America that does drive-bys. We are going to go deep this episode and I hope you are ready for the ride. All right. Now, um, before I say anything else, I'm going to plug myself in here. My Instagram is at K-O-O-L-R-A-K. My Facebook is M-I-K-E-R-A-K-S-H-A-N. You can reach me on all platforms. This podcast will be on all platforms. Make sure to follow the podcast on at Rambling with Rack. And make sure to follow my jujitsu gym at Immortals Jujitsu. Um, I've done a lot of things this year and I'm only starting. All right, guys. Hope you guys are having a wonderful day. Um, thank you for listening to this intro. So as I mentioned before, the theme of this podcast, we're going to try to stick to origins like episode one. And where does my origin start with Iranian gangsters? My origin starts with my father, who was in the Imperial Iranian Army and later joined the um, Imperial Police Force. My first exposure to gangsters was stories of my dad, and he has a hell of a story. So he was born in 1956. And he was born in one of the poorest neighborhoods of all of Tehran by the name of Nezamabad. He was a child of, um, he was seven siblings. It was eight. One of them passed away. And my father, he didn't really have opportunities to pay for college, but he was a very, 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 very smart kid. I'm talking like he's one of the smartest people you'll ever meet in your life. So time came, 18 years old, it's time to go to college or do something with your life. And he did not have the financial opportunities that other people had. So 
he saw that this was during the time of the White Revolution in Iran, where the Shah of Iran was using um, the wealth uh, that we got from natural resources and whatnot to invest in the military and invest in the police force. A huge criticism of the Shah was that he did not invest enough in socioeconomic things like hospitals, schools, etc. He spent a lot on the military, which is why my dad was able to get a full scholarship to, I, I don't know what we would call it, but I will say the equivalent of like West Point for Iran. You go, you go to college for four years and you end up in, um, you end up an officer when you get out. And he already had a lot of credentials in wrestling he was a champion in wrestling, and also he, t he was boxing at this time too. Four years, his senior year, he would actually win the national championship of Iran in boxing. I will post photos of that on Instagram. I think I already have, but if you all want to see it, I'll post it again. Right, so he gets done with um, you know his West Point. He's in the army for a few years, and I'll, I'll touch up on that on another episode. I want to talk about the police force, okay? So this is a really funny story. They put my dad in a very rich neighborhood in northern Tehran. So the way Tehran works is that it's literally structured this way. The north is the wealthy. The middle of Tehran is the not so wealthy. And the south of Tehran is the poor part. He was from the south. And during his time in the north, um, being a police in the north, he actually meets my mom and my mom's family. Um, but he literally got no action over there. He did not have any calls. Pretty peaceful. So what does he do? He does the same thing I would do. And and this is where I kind of see where I get my burning ambition from, my psychoticness from, just my will to test myself from. It's him. He, um, he goes to his chief commander and he's like, listen, there's nothing going on uh, up here. I'm not really doing anything. Could you transfer me to like another location? What does this guy do? the chief commander, biggest asshole ever. He transfers my dad to the most dangerous neighborhood in all of Tehran by the name of Javadieh, where is famous for gangsters. Um, now, the gangsters of the old days were not like gangsters like now. There was no drugs, smuggling, etc. involved. Uh, there was just a lot of fighting, okay? So my dad gets transferred to Javadieh, and on his first day ever, he has to deal with a 40-on-40 family fight. So the way this <clears throat> giant brawl happened was that these two families, one of the sons and the daughters, were engaged. So when you're engaged at that time, you're not really allowed to hang out. You could see here every once in a while... Uh, you could see each other and that's about it. Now it's gotten a lot modernized. To give you an idea of how strict it used to be, my grandmother met her husband, my grandfather, for the first time on their wedding day. Like how crazy is that? So um, 
what happened is between these two families, there were two betrothed people and a son laid a hand on the daughter. I don't know if it was a violent, like hit her or what, but that's what my dad said. And the father of the daughter uh, went to the groom or, you know, the fiance and beat the shit out of him. Okay, rightfully so, but pretty badly. So then one thing escalated to another. Next thing they're in literally the middle of the street, 40 on 40. And my dad told me about the fight. People had machetes, knives, uh, sticks, all types of weapons. And what blew my mind after was that nobody got killed and nobody got seriously injured. And I asked him why. Um, he told me that there's a code of honor in Iran, especially with gangsters. You do not kill. So the way it works is, like, let's say we have a knife fight. I don't use the entire knife. I take my thumb and I put it just on the tip of the knife. And we do something called khatsani, which means line drawing. Pretty much just cutting the surface of the skin. And if you fight like this, you could get pretty hurt, but you're not going to die. And with machetes, they wouldn't hit each other with the soft, with the sharp part of the machete. They would hit each other with the dull part of the machete. So there was like a code of honor. It's this huge 40 on 40 fight. And like with the sticks, they're not hitting each other in the face. They're hitting each other in the body. And I thought it was so cool that here you have 40 on 40 fighting over something. And they're beating the shit out of each other. But they're also making sure not to hurt each other. I thought that was really, really cool. And my dad said he saw this regularly down there. And what was really awesome is that when he saw, like, let's say he was in the north of the city and a lawyer got into a fight with a doctor and, like, someone pushed each other, they'll take each other to court. They'll take each other. They'll sue, do all this types of stuff. But he said in the south of the city, this freaking 40 on 40 brawls that would happen at the end of the brawls, 99% of the time they would make up. The, the argument would be settled. So after, after this, the argument was settled. They shook hands. They're all bloody. And he told me that those two, um, the man and that woman actually ended up marrying each other, which is crazy. So this was like my first exposure to that. And I thought it was so cool. So I get a lot of shit from people posting real gangsters hold hands and talking about gangsters and whatnot. But what you need to understand is my definition of gangster is very different than yours. So when I hear a gangster in America, I'm thinking drive-by shootings, selling crack, selling heroin, killing people, etc. Being a gangster in Iran has a totally different meaning, okay? So what the name for a gangster in Iran is Lat, L-A-T or L-A-H-T, okay? And every neighborhood in Tehran, every neighborhood in the north has like a, a gonde lot. Gonde means big, lot means gangster. Every neighborhood has like their head gangster, right? And it's pretty cool. You see it on Instagram. They'll call each other out and make videos. Some of them are so hilarious. Like there's one where a guy that's doing high kicks and like martial arts stuff to like, 
you know, um, <laughs> scare his uh, rivals. So there's lot going to lot, and every neighborhood has one. And the code of honor there is this. Um, so if you curse each other off, uh, cursing is fosh. So we have fosh and manwili. Manwili means normal, right? So you're an asshole, fuck you, etc. right? That's, that's, that's not going to warrant a fight. But then in Iranian culture, there's something called nomus. Nomus is a one word for explaining um, your mother, your sister, your daughter, pretty much a woman in your family. You know, we hold women sacred over there. A lot of people are like, bro, women are repressed, bro. It's pretty much the government that, it's a law, pretty much that you have to cover your hair. But if you look at that part of the world, even Dagestan, where Khabib is from, it's not oppression. It's more that the men care about their women so much that they want to protect them. If you do a foshenomusi, which means cursing off a man's wife, daughter, or mother, that's grounds for a knife fight, especially amongst gangsters. If you dare insult someone's mother, daughter, or wife, there's going to be a knife fight. There's going to be a fight. You never, ever in Iran insult someone's nomus because that's where your honor is and you have to defend your honor. Now, typically when two gangsters fight the old ways, it was um, this was how it worked. You would not wear shirts, okay? Because just in case someone was wearing like body armor or a bulletproof vest and you would fight with knives or fists or whatever, but you would never use the whole knife. You would just hold the tip and you would slash each other that way. Um, nowadays, it's gotten a little worse. Like there's not much code of honor anymore, but back then there was. People would fight with machetes, but they wouldn't chop each other's arms off. They were just <clears throat> so skilled <coughs> that they would only cut each other. And um, one more thing I wanted to say. Um, so a gangster in Iran, uh, the main profession for gangsters in Iran are debt collectors, which in Farsi is called Sharkhar. So let's say um, I lend somebody a million dollars, right? And they're supposed to get that money back to me by this day, right? So I call the cops, I take them to court, I do everything. And he just doesn't come, nowhere to be found. What I will do, I will pay a Sharkhar to go to that guy's house with a blank check and have him sign the check or find a way for this guy to pay you back. Usually it doesn't come to violence because people, you just see this freaking six foot five bearded guy at your door. You're like, yeah, I think it's time to pay up. But sometimes it does go to blows. Sometimes it goes to a knife fight. And that's their, um, that's their profession. My grandpa before he got his PhD and became um, a Hafez, uh, he was actually a debt collector. He wasn't a debt collector to that level, but he was a debt collector. So I guess some of it runs through my blood. Um, but anyways, just reiterating, gangster in Iran is not the same thing as a gangster in America. So a lot of you who judge me for posting pictures and stuff, just know that it's a totally different world I'm talking about. Think more of like mafiosos, how they had a code of honor, but if mafiosos weren't killing each other. 
Now, another <clears throat> very interesting thing that I notice about Iranian gangsters is that all of them had cauliflower ear. So I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Like, it, they're all wrestlers or what? Not all of them, but a decent amount of them have cauliflower ear. So as you guys may not know or know, in Iran, wrestling is the national sport. Many say that wrestling was actually invented in ancient Persia. It's a huge part of our culture. It's a huge part of who we are. And having cauliflower ear in Iran is huge. You automatically have respect. People automatically think you're a champion, wrestler, etc., Although it's pretty pathetic that a lot of people will actually punch themselves in the ear or use pliers or something to give them fake cauliflower ear, which I think is just so stupid. But anyway, how did these gangsters get cauliflower ear? Did they get it because they're gangsters or were they actually wrestlers? So I figured this out by myself after talking to a few people, but... I found out it's not Iran that's just like this. You'll see this in countries like Uzbekistan, uh, Kazakhstan, uh, Russia. Okay, so in Russia in 1991, the Soviet Union collapsed. And in former Soviet uh, satellite states, right, these uh, athletes were in state-sponsored wrestling programs. So your food, your your home, everything was sponsored by the state. All you had to go was train and win the Soviet Union medals, okay? So 1991 hits, and all of a sudden, all these state-sponsored programs are cut. So now you have all these kickboxers, judo guys, wrestlers, boxers, with no more money, no more sponsorships. What are they going to do? They're going to go sell cars? They're going to go sell shoes? What the hell goes? What's going to happen? Well, in 1991, when all the uh, when the state collapsed and um, the Soviet Union became Russia and several satellite states, the organized crime exploded because now you have all these Soviet arms, guns, missiles, whatever that you could just take, and in a very short amount of time. The Russian mafia, the Uzbek mafia, and all of these um, organized crime syndicates got very powerful. Now, they need people to get their money for them. They need debt collectors. They need bodyguards. Who did they go to? There was a huge supply of highly trained fighters with no money and, and nowhere to use their skills anymore. And I guess you could figure out what happened next. A lot of these guys became henchmen and whatnot. Now, a lot of these athletes are just sponsored by the mafia. The mafia is like pretty much, hey, when we need you, you come do what we need you to do. Now, this is in Russia and Soviet states, right? The way it works in Iran is, um, let's say you're a wrestler and you didn't, you just couldn't make it. You know, the state didn't sponsor you. People think Iran, the government really cares about the athletes. Really not like that. So let's say you couldn't cut it. Now you're this highly dangerous guy with no other skills other than martial arts. And someone comes, hey, you want to be a shahar? They're like, I guess, because the only thing I can do, right? So these guys will become debt collectors and they will become gangsters, but they still bring the code of honor from wrestling into 
their job. So you don't see these guys killing people. You don't see these guys robbing people. They still abide by the code of honor, which is pretty cool. Many of you guys ask me what the story is behind real gangsters hold hands. Um, and I, it's going to take me a while to fully explain this. It has to do with irony. It has to do with just humor. It has to do with a lot of things. But I have to start from the beginning, okay? So for those of you who don't know, homosexuality is actually illegal in Iran. You might be asking yourself, oh, so it's like America was five years ago where gays couldn't get married. Uh, no, um, homosexuality, homosexuality is actually illegal by death penalty from what I understand. So I didn't believe it until I asked some people. If you are gay and you kind of just live your daily life and and you just live your daily life and it's just normal, like, yeah, that's fine. But if you are outspoken about it, public about it and protest, you can actually, according to the government, which is a theocracy, you will be given the death penalty and you will be hung which I don't agree with, you know, I think people should have their own freedoms, but that's the way it is, right? Now, on the other hand, ironically, in Iran, it is totally okay. It's totally normal for two men to hold hands and walk down the street. In America, literally everybody will look at you. It is totally normal in Iran for two heterosexual men to hold hands and walk around like i've done it before and it's totally normal also it's totally normal in iran when two men say hello to each other to kiss each other on the cheek three times that's how you say hello in iran so the fact that homosexuality is illegal but men hold hands is just to me very funny now the next part which is funny, but I also think is super cool, is you'll see videos and pictures all over Instagram when two gangsters, so I see this a lot, two gangsters, rival gangsters, rival gondelots, who used to have an issue with each other, they'll fight it out, doesn't matter who wins, but after they're friends, and they'll pick, take a picture holding hands. So it's two super big muscular dudes, scars all over their face, cauliflower ear, tattoos, sleeved up, toughest looking guys, angry looking faces, and they're holding hands, taking a picture. I just like, if you can't fall in love with that, then I don't know. I just think it's the best. So I kind of created a hashtag called Real Gangsters Hold Hands. And I'm trying to make it popular in America and people love it. So if you ever buy a shirt from me, you will be holding hands with me or we're not taking a picture. Now, next part. It's totally normal and you'll see videos. I love this, by the way, of gangster parties. Gangster parties are men only. You are not allowed to bring a woman. It's a bunch of jacked, tattooed, scarred up guys uh, angry looking dudes are all at a party and they dance and I could show you videos. It's fucking awesome. They'll literally meet up, they'll get alcohol, they'll get food and they'll dance all night. 
I all I wanted to do was go to a gangster party. This time I went to Iran, but it couldn't happen. But hopefully next time. And one more thing about real gangsters hold hands. Number one, the irony of that I think is cool. Number two, it's the end of gang violence, which I respect. Two guys just being friends and ending their disputes. That's another reason why I like it. So next time I post on Instagram, or if you're going to comment on the podcast, don't forget to use hashtag real gangsters hold hands. Oops. And of course, I forgot to plug my t-shirt in the beginning, so I'm going to do it now. You could find me at K-O-O-L-R-A-K. DM me to get your Sultan of Strangles t-shirt. Real Gangsters Hold Hands t-shirts are coming real soon. Make sure to follow me on there. Your boy is out. Now, I just wanted to talk about gangster fashion, many of which I will wear on my day-to-day life. So your regular lot, normal lot, this is how they'll dress, standard. You must have two Firuz Arir rings on your pinky and your ring finger, both hands. They've got to either be blue or red. You could have black or green, but usually blue or red. I will post pictures of these rings. One of them is called Marjan Arir, which is the red. Then we have Sfiruz Arir, which is blue. You could actually get these stones in America as well. Next thing you want to do is you want to get a tasbi, which is similar to a Christian rosary bead, but it's a Muslim one. And you will wear it on your neck instead of counting it on your fingers. Uh, A new trend among gangsters in Iran, which I think is hilarious, is many of them will wear American football jerseys. That's right. American football jerseys with traditional like countryside backwoods type pants which is called shalwar kordi i think it's the coolest outfit ever i really want to start rocking it now one type of gangster i did not tell you about is called a jahel you can find these gangsters you can literally look on youtube right now there's a movie called qaisar it's the most famous gangster movie in all of iran it is it is spelled G-H-E-Y-S-A-R. And even if you don't speak the language, you could still really enjoy that movie. It's super cool. Now, those jawhead is the highest level of gangster, right? They will wear a top hat, a white button-down shirt, a blazer over it. I don't know if it's called a blazer, just a, you know, a normal suit jacket, black pants. They will have the tasbih in their hands and they will have the rings, these guys are old school. They put in their time. They're not fighting anymore. They're super respected. Um, if you want on Instagram to follow on some of them, one of them's my real good friend. His name is Siavash Sattari. Uh, there's one, Ali Rezaian. Super cool dudes. They're just all about helping the community now. Their gangster days are pretty much over. Now, once in a blue moon, you know, you get into a knife fight with a fellow gangster and you know you might hit an artery you might hit a vein and he might end up dead so the law currently in iran is very very interesting okay so the the penalty for death is not life in jail the penalty for death is adam adam means death by hanging okay so you will do x amount of years 20 years whatever and that, that the state gives you. And then on the day of your hanging, this is what happens. Um, and it's the wildest thing I've ever heard in my life. This is like an actual law. 
on the day of the hanging, the mother, father, or brother or sister of the victim will be uh, will be present. And if on your way to the gallows you ask them forgive for forgiveness and they grant it, you are a free man. I am not kidding. This is an actual law. You've been sentenced to death. You did 10, 20 years in jail. You're on your way to be sentenced to death. The gallows are in front of you. You pass by the mother of the person you just killed. I'm so sorry. I'm a changed man. Please don't let them do this. And if the mother says, okay, uh, means to forgive. They will literally take the handcuffs off of you and you will no longer have to be in jail. Like you don't even have to do life in prison. You're just free. So that's happened a very few times. There's actually like videos on YouTube of mothers and fathers forgiving the killer of their sons because they realize it was a mistake. They realize there is changed person. And that was wild. Um, prison in Iran is pretty cool. Um, you will have to wear their traditional pants called shalwar kordi. You, um, <laughs> when you enter your jail cells, just like you enter an Iranian home, you have to take your shoes off. Um, there is regular general population, and then there's bimolagati, which has many songs written about this. It's called solitary confinement. Pretty much the same as the American prison system, except what they put in your food is saltpeter so that you cannot get a boner and you cannot rape your fellow prison mates so we are reaching the f the end of the episode and the finale is coming right so i go to iran you think i'm gonna go to the historical sites you think i'm gonna go to do the all, all amazing things all these unesco heritage sites that exist there three thousand years old nope what did, I, what did I do when I went this uh, winter? I went to meet one of the most famous gangsters in the north. So I am from a province called Mazandaran. Mazandaran is in the north of Iran. Uh, surrounding Mazandaran are the Alborz Mountains, where I'm from, which the highest peak, second to uh, Mount Everest in the east, uh, east part of the world, is Mount Damavand in Iran, where many, many people go to climb. Um, so there is mountains where I'm from and then the province Mazandaran is right on the Caspian Sea. So the mountains capture all the moisture and no, Iran is not a desert. Mazandaran is literally a jungle and I call it the Texas of Iran because it's just like Texas. Everybody has a gun. Everybody knows how to fight. It's the Wild West. I love it. And it makes a lot of sense that I'm from there. You've got the mountain people, the hill people. I'm going to do a whole episode on that. Um, you should definitely read the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. He goes in depth on mountain culture. Um, we've got uh, different types of gangsters. My family, we could trace our heritage back like 10 generations in Mazandaran. My uh, great-grandfather was a feudal lord, but he'll get his own episode as well. What I really want to focus on is uh, the, the gangster by the name of Ali Khofash. Khofash means bat. He has the nickname bat because he's never seen. He's always in the darkness. Um, and I've been following him on Instagram and YouTube for like two years up until this point. 
I met this wonderful girl in Iran that I had been talking about, talking to on Instagram for like two years. We were talking about getting married. Um, so she came to visit me and she straight up just lived with me for like two, what was it, two weeks? Yeah, around two, one and a half weeks. And she was a local from Mazandaran. She pretty much did everything for me. She was amazing. As a joke one night, you know, I'm like, you know what I would really love? If I could meet Ali Khofash. She laughed and she gave me a kiss. Little do I know, in three days, she says, hey, get ready. She made like 500 phone calls until she was able to find Ali Khofash. Her friend of a friend of a friend knew where he was and they got into contact with him. So she said, get ready. We got to meet him at 12. So we go. We got up super early to go see him. He is maybe the most well-known gangster in the north or one of the most well-known gangsters. I'm driving through the city of Babol. We leave the city. We leave the country. We get to like this thing called a Rusta. It's like the back. I, I don't know if I would call it the backwards. It's like a town outside the city. We call those Rustas. We see literally like chickens on the side being sold. We see goats and stuff. It's like literally a scene out of a movie. And in the distance, I see this giant guy, like six foot four, lats flared out like a bodybuilder. That's his normal stance, huge beard. He walks up to me. I walk up to him. He says, so you're this American that's been looking for me, huh? And I'm like, shit, is this guy about to fucking slash me with a knife? I'm like, uh, yeah. He's like, welcome to Iran. He gave me a hug. <laughs> and pretty much he told me because I contacted him on Instagram, the government, like Iran's version of the CIA, you know, it's called Etelahat. I'm sorry, Etelat. Yeah. They were searching his messages and they're like, hey, who's this American guy contacting you? Are you a spy or something? Is there something you need to tell us? So they interrogated him for like a whole day because of me. <laughs> and he told me that. He's like, yeah, you messaged me on Insta and they took me in the next day and they were asking me questions. So I asked them all types of questions. His father passed away when he was eight years old. And his mom remarried and he had a trouble with his step uh, stepfather. Uh, he left home at like 12 and was living all alone there. And he's like, that's where, you know, my journey started. So he kind of became a help, a helper of a debt collector. That's he, how he became a gangster. And man, everywhere we went, everyone was beeping. I was like, hey, like everybody knew him. And he said, you know, I really respect you coming out here to see me. You know, you came all the way from America. That means a lot to me. He brings me to his house. He, I meet his wife. I meet his kids. He gives me two things of orange juice. So in Iran, we have this thing. It's a cross between an orange and a lemon. It's called norange. It's like super sour. You could use it in food. He gave me two bottles of norange juice from his uh, garden. Um, and he pretty much told me all these cool stories about debt collecting he told me stories about knife fights. He pretty much told me that if you get into a knife fight in Iran and you accidentally hurt somebody really bad or kill them, you get blacklisted. Like your own boss, your own gondolat will have to take you out. 
um, he told me of stories of debt collection. This guy owed another guy a million dollars. He ripped them off. So Ali Hofush and a bunch of guys went to his house, burnt it down, and burnt his car down. The next day, he wrote the check for a million dollars. Tons of cool stories like that. Maybe I could talk about them more too. But overall, he was a super nice guy to me, treated me really nice, gave me some souvenirs. I'll probably get him a souvenir next time I go. I got so much shit from my family member because of this trip. They're like, you, are you crazy? What the hell are you doing? He was going to take me to a gangster party, like the one where it's all men and they're dancing. But what happened the next day? Donald Trump killed Qasem Soleimani, which is the head general of Iran. And the whole country went through, I think, three days or one week of mourning. So all Iranian flags were taken down. Uh, all black flags were put up. There was no restaurants open, no merrymaking, no weddings allowed. This is literal laws, by the way. So all the concerts that I had planned on going ended. All the parties ended. And that really sucked. You know, I thought we were about to go to war. And that was the most chaotic month ever to be in Iran. The plane got shot down and all that shit. Just my luck, huh? Well, anyway, hope you guys enjoyed that episode. If you have not yet, go on Instagram and follow me at K-O-O-L-R-A-K. Follow the podcast at Rambling with Rack. Follow my jujitsu gym at Immortals Jujitsu. And make sure to follow me on Facebook, Mike Rackshan. SultanofStrangles.com coming soon. Working on it right now. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Thank you so much for your support. Last but not least, I just wanted to tell you guys what my personal definition of a gangster is. It has nothing to do with dealing drugs. Nothing to do with drive-bys. None of that. To me, it means being a rebel. To me, it means not respecting authority when it doesn't deserve to be respected. To me, it means not turning the other cheek, you know, to stand up for yourself. Not being told what to do. If you look at the current state of the world that we're in, there's a lot of rules out there. A lot of them don't make a lot of sense. So I don't follow them. You shouldn't have to follow them. And just because the masses follow them doesn't mean you should too. That is my definition of a gangster. And I will finish this episode by asking you, are you a gangster? And will you hold my hand? <laughs>